this were a Pentecostal church, on the other hand, there would be no pews. I don't think they're sitting in Pentecostal churches. Oh, I'm just teasing my good Pentecostal brothers and sisters. That song, Believe, that you sang this morning, that we sang as a congregation, you read that to me one day when you were filling in for Rose, and I, I immediately loved the, the lyrics of it. I, that's the first time I heard it, and it was so beautiful. That was a great song. Let me give you a little context. He wrote that song. That's a new song, right? He wrote that song after he lost a child. Next week when you come and we sing that song, we're going to sing it again next week, even if Kathleen didn't plan it. Next time when you come to sing that song, I want you to think the man who wrote this song really means it. My brother was there. My brother, when you go to Nashville, Nashville's like going to Disney World. You always see the characters. You know, you're always going to run into them. And Nashville has these country music characters. They're everywhere. We, while we were there, true story, we went to a place called Nashville, which is a little deli. We had left Dad uh, for lunch and just went down to get some food. And we were sitting there, and my sister says, there's a country, a famous country music star over there, and I don't know who it is. And I looked up, and I said, that's Miranda Lambert. And she says, for those of you who know who that is, that's a big person. I don't even listen to country music, but I knew who it was. So my sister says, no, 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 there's an old woman. She says, I said, no, that woman right there is Miranda Lambert. She turns and she goes, oh my gosh, that's Miranda Lambert. But there's a famous country music star sitting across from her. <laughs> so David, David, my whole family rubs shoulders with country music people. I'm not kidding you. I mean, they're every, they are literally everywhere, and one of those people is Stephen Curtis Chapman, and my brother and Gary know and were there uh, when that happened, uh, when Stephen lost his, his, um, his daughter in a tragic accident. And to write that song in the midst of that, you know, let that shed some different light on it next week, Okay. Uh, I am super excited about VBS. All right, it is the, one of the best things we do at this church. Come out and support for your own good. I should not have to twist your hands to get this done. It is so much fun. You are going to learn things about people you never knew. I'm telling you, you see a real side of people when work and when they're starting to work together. I got to know Johan working together. We didn't know squat about putting on paneling, but we learned a lot about each other in the jungles. When it was hot, we both wanted some water and both didn't know how to use a hammer. So we learned a lot about one another. This is a wonderful time. Remember, keeping with our theme of Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, we wanna assemble together, we wanna stir up love together, we want to grow together, we want to grow together, here is a wonderful opportunity to do that. So come and see Dave and Kathleen and find out how you can do it. One, one of the things I'm looking forward to is coming and worshiping the songs with the kids. I love that. Totally, totally changed my view of Christian music. Coming in here and seeing how the little kids worship. They, they aren't worried about a thing. It is awesome. So come, be a part Come and assist. Do something. Just be a part of it. It's, it's a wonderful time. I, I can't tell you any more than that. 
We want to talk this morning about baptism. It's our final point in our beliefs. I want to give you a working definition to begin with. So if you want to write this down, go ahead and write it down. I, I hope it's up on the screen. If it's not, it's, it's completely my fault. But nonetheless, I'll take my time. I want you to get this working definition of baptism. Have it somewhere, and you can go back and reference it throughout the message. Baptism is the initiatory act of obedience whereby Christians dramatize their union with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection by being completely immersed in water. Let me give you that to you again. Baptism is the initiatory act of obedience whereby Christians, every one of these words is strategically placed, whereby Christians dramatize their union with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection by being completely immersed in water. Some further notes on that definition. While not essential for salvation, baptism is an important or is important for our appropriation of salvation. While not essential for salvation, baptism is important for our appropriation of salvation. All right, so that's our working definition, and you can go back to that and reference it throughout the sermon. You know, I want us to understand something about baptism, and I want to do this in a, a very simple way this morning. I, I could have talked about a lot of things when it comes to baptism. There's a lot of debate down through the church. One, one thing's for sure, the church, wherever the church has been, they practice the rite of baptism. Historically speaking, the church has always practice baptism. When some of the Christians were pushed off, uh, they were moved out of society for persecution, they would go into the catacombs, and, and even in those catacombs where they would go and live underground or live out, into the, live out in the sandstone mountains in, in Cappadocia, they even carved little basins where they could go down and get water and put it in the little basin, and they could practice some form of baptism. It, it was really unsafe to go down to a river, you see, but if you, could, if you were living in this, in this place where they could reach down to the water table and get a little bit of water, water was precious, they'd pour it in a basin and they would practice some kind of baptism. Now there's a lot of debate about baptism, whether baptism is, uh, is, it, for, uh, is it for children, right? What's the proper, who are the proper recipients of baptism? What's the proper mode of baptism? We could have talked about that this morning. Is it, is it proper to immerse, or is it uh, proper to sprinkle, or is it proper to pour? We could have talked about when is proper to do baptism. Is it, is it, do you do it after a person has been catechized? Some people early in the church, while they were sitting in the baptismal waters, would literally give catechism answers to questions before they got dunked. So there's a lot of questions about that. I, I don't want to get that in depth this morning. You could do an entire series on baptism. I want to drive 
one major point home, and then we're going to break down two other points from there. The, the major point is this. Baptism, while non-essential for salvation, does not mean unimportant for salvation. Baptism, while non-essential for salvation, does not mean unimportant. That has become a, a real issue for evangelical Christians that baptism is not important because baptism doesn't save. And so that the only real important things are what really does the job, what really does the trick. Last night I, I got in bed, 10.30, Stephanie and I were snuggled up. That's my favorite part of the day, you know that. We were snuggled up, babies were in their beds asleep. It was, amen, right? I, I should have heard an amen from you, David. Babies were asleep, and we heard And our dogs perked up. And we had this real ugly looking dog. And she's got these huge ears, right? She just popped those ears up. And the dogs are on alert. It's 1030. Babies are asleep. I'm snuggling with my wife. That's all I think about right now. We're watching Steve Harvey. That's our favorite show is, is Family Feud. I love Steve Harvey. My day is relaxed when Steve Harvey comes on. And that stupid cat. And I hate cats. That stupid cat that has been getting up in my engine, got up in my engine, and started meowing. And Steph looked at me. Honey, are you going to get the cat? Yeah, I'm going to get the cat. Now, I could have said, well, she's not going to divorce me. It's not that important to our marriage that I get up and I get that cat out of my engine. But because I'm married to her, because I love her, I'm doing it. So I got up, fished that stupid thing out of the car, and had to carry it all around Pembroke Pines. And of course, nobody wanted a cat at 11 o'clock. So I dumped it off on my in-laws, and it's still there this morning. <laughs> Thank you, by the way. The point is this, no, was that important for our marriage? Yeah, but, but it wasn't going to nullify my marriage, right? Some things are important but are not essential. But that doesn't mean that they're not important to do. Some of our marriages are, are, are struggling because you just don't see those as important issues, and you should. Those little things matter. Remember that covenant that you made. Some things are non-essential, but that doesn't mean that they're unimportant. So I want to talk then this morning about this. I want to answer this question. Why is baptism important? Why is baptism important? Point number one. Baptism is not, not a part of the accomplishment of salvation but it is a part of our appropriation of salvation. 
Baptism is not a part of the accomplishment of salvation, but it is a part of our appropriation of salvation. Let me define really quickly the word appropriate. Appropriate simply means to make something our own. It means to make it our own, to take it and make it mine. Salvation is not a single moment, but, a rather, but rather a new reality. Salvation is not a single moment, it's a new reality. In the American church, especially after, especially after you had revivalism and you had evangelism explosions and you wanted a lot of numbers, you wanted to see people make decisions so that you felt good about what you had done that day, you wanted to kind of see it. And a big deal was made about coming down aisles and filling out cards. And we, what we did was we ended up trivializing, or let's say this, let's not use trivialize because I don't think that's what happened. I think we ended up minimizing what salvation really is. And what we did was we made salvation a moment and not a new reality. Salvation is not a moment. It's not about what you did one time because you were brave enough to get up and walk down the aisle. It's about what you're doing every day and how you're growing in that new reality. So baptism is not a part of the accomplishment of salvation, but it is a part of our appropriation of salvation. Let me explain that point. Number one, baptism is our first step in our new lives lived in obedience to Christ. It's the first step, first step in our new lives lived in obedience to Christ. Read Acts chapter 2, verses 237 through 41. Peter preaches, and he preaches this. Repent, be baptized. So repent of your sins and be baptized. And the early church didn't argue about whether or not you, you did it this way or whether or not it saved you. They just obeyed it. They just did it. Okay, I've repented of my sins. Now what? Now be baptized. Now wait a minute now, Peter. Does baptism really save you? Question didn't come up. And it really shouldn't come up for us. If you have repented of your sins, and, and please Understand that repentance is not the same as confession. Repentance means I know what I used to do. I'm stopping it now. I'm stopping it. Now, be baptized. There was a new reality. Paul says in Romans 14, 7 through 9, none of us, that is for believers, lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. Why? If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, that means the goal, that is the goal, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. The new reality is this. You, if you are a Christian, no longer belong but to Christ. You have not just called him Savior, like a omeprazole pill that you take one a day and it, it, it relieves all the acid and you still eat all the crap you were eating before. He's now your dietitian. 
He tells you what to eat and not to eat. In other words, now Christ says, you belong to me. And baptism is the first act where we say, I'm going to do this because I belong to you. You commanded it. You commanded it, Jesus. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Baptism begins our lifelong pursuit to make Christ the Lord of our living and of our dying. It is the moment where we say, we've died, these waters have judged us, 1 Peter 2, or 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20, the, the, the flood like Noah, he compares the flood of Noah to baptism, that the flood was a judgment, and these waters judge that old man, we have died, we are buried, it's over with, and now we're raised, as Paul says in Colossians 2, 12 and 13, to newness of life. We have a new life. We're different. I've been speaking with several people recently who are staking their life on a commitment of baptism and haven't done anything since then. One of the unfortunate realities of baptism is that we're going to baptize in this church non-believers. But it shouldn't be that way. Baptism is a special part of the good works we now produce in keeping in step with faith that saves us. So just as good works can't accomplish our salvation, so too baptism cannot accomplish our salvation. But just as good works are an essential part for the appropriation of our salvation, so too is baptism an essential part of our appropriation of salvation. If faith without works is dead, then faith without proper baptism is dead. I don't know. Maybe there's someone today who is saying, I'm not going to be baptized. I'm not ready for that. Okay, I want you to understand this. Baptism is a work. How have we defined it? It is the initiatory act of obedience. You're in a new reality where you belong to Christ and are obeying Him. And if you are sitting in rebellion against Christ, as James says about our works, faith without works is dead, same thing here. You say, you are making baptism important. Good. Because it's too non-important today in many of our churches. Baptism was important. Jesus had just a couple words to the early church when he was leaving. His last words. And one of those commands was go and baptize. So, baptism appropriates our salvation. It demonstrates to the world that we now belong to Jesus Christ. That I go to my life and I assess every part of my life, how, I, how my thought life is, how my love life is, how my giving life is, how my life in the church is. I had to talk with someone about that yesterday. You know, you, you can't love Jesus and hate his bride. It just, it just doesn't work that way. That's an oxymoron to be a Christian and not be part of the church. You, it can't happen. The New Testament knows nothing about that life. But it's the same thing with baptism. You can't be a believer and not be baptized. Do you understand? Now someone's going to say, well, what about the thief on the cross? 
Okay, so if it's, if it's important for our appropriation of salvation, the thief on the cross was promised salvation that he would be with Jesus in paradise, but he wasn't baptized. They didn't, the Roman soldiers didn't quickly say, pull out the nails and get him into the baptismal pool. So what about him? What about those who die in infancy? What about foxhole conversions or deathbed conversions? Now listen to me. For every one of us here today, None of those apply. So what are we even talking about? You're all healthy, wealthy, and wise and can be baptized today. Not in this pool. <laughs> We're going to talk about that soon, by the way. If we have to, we'll get you to a, pu a public pool. I'm serious. We're going to use my father-in-law's pool. I, I just told him. Um, no, I told him earlier. I asked him earlier in the week. But we might have to do that. It's important that we do this. But I don't want to say for just a second, I don't want to make this exception of the thief on the cross and the deathbed experience the rule. We don't bend the rule for those exceptions. God's grace in those encounters is sufficient. But that is not the normal rule of obedience for everyone else, everyone else like you and I. So if you're a believer and you have not been baptized... Think about your responsibility or the reaction to God's obedience. How are you reacting to this new life and this new reality of being baptized and being obedient to Christ? So, I don't want to leave you, though, with a confusion that, that, this is, that what I'm saying here is that baptism somehow saves us. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.17. He says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The power of our salvation is ultimately in the cross of Christ, not in our works and not in our baptism. But our salvation is not a moment in time where we come down an aisle, fill out a card. It is a new reality characterized by lifelong obedience to Christ and conformity to his image. He has commanded baptism. We should be baptized. Okay. Point number two. Baptism is a gift to the believer dramatizing the gospel by immersion. Point number two, baptism is a gift to the believer dramatizing the gospel by immersion. So talk for just a second about the mode. The reason why sprinkling doesn't convey the gospel is because you're not just sprinkled, you're poured. Christ's blood completely covers you. I mean, just for a moment, we're talking about a symbol, not a sign. A stop sign is a sign, right? For a bull, a red object means go, doesn't it? For us, it means stop. That's a sign. In other words, it doesn't symbolize, it doesn't, it doesn't look like the thing it's talking about. But a symbol looks like the thing it's talking about. A symbol looks like the thing that it's trying to convey or the message that it wants people to understand. And the reason why we preach or practice the mode of baptism by immersion is number one, first and foremost, because every single New Testament verb, when it uses the word baptizo, means to immerse. 
That's number one. But number two, because it so obviously conveys the gospel. That you have died to your old ways. You were raised, you were buried with Christ, died with Christ. So not only have you died to yourself, but you have died with Christ. And think about what we're saying when we dunk a person underwater. We are saying that in, in Christ's death, I am now united to it. I'm in that. And in this mysterious way, God is no longer going to punish me for my sins. Because Christ did it. So we baptize them into immersion. Then we bury, just like when Christ suffered the punishment in that burial, he was also, we were there too, and then we too raised, just like Christ raised. So immersion clearly proves or symbolizes what baptism or what the gospel really means. But Jesus commands us to be baptized and to baptize, not as a burden, but as a blessing. So I want to talk really quickly about the gifts or the benefits of baptism. Jesus tells the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is the supreme God and king of everything. If the God and king of this world comes and commands you to do something, you do it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That means we're not going to say you can't be a member of the church of Jesus Christ because of your nation or national identity or even your gender or any of that. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So why does Jesus command baptism? John Calvin says that Christ has given baptism as an encouragement to our faith. That in him and also as a way of confessing this faith in Christ before others. Baptism is a sign of our cleansing that our sins have been completely wiped out and God will never refer to them again. Those who see baptism only as a confession of our faith, says Calvin, have missed the main point because baptism is tied to the promise of forgiveness. So just as every good work benefits us, so also baptism as a work benefits us. Well, how does baptism benefit us? Number one, by uniting us with Christ's death burial, and resurrection. Romans 6, 3 through 4 says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 3 through 4. Baptism is a benefit to us because it conveys to us this wonderful truth. My salvation rests in someone who can actually accomplish it, because I can't. What a benefit. Thank you, Jesus, for baptism. Oh, man. Because if it were left to me, 
I mean, if you're really honest about yourself and you look in that mirror and you begin to question every even perceived good deed, you can find an ulterior motive down at the base of it. But Jesus gave us baptism to remind us, listen, every single time for the rest of your life that you live, every moment that you live for the rest of your life, I'm going to give you this to remember this thing. You are saved because you are united with my death, my burial, my resurrection. We need to remember our baptisms. When sin gets so heavy on us and we feel so unworthy, remember that Christ, is, it, it is in his death and in his burial and his resurrection that makes me, that, that, that gives me a clear conscience and gives me peace that I am in him and not in myself. And as I fail him, I look to him and I say, praise Jesus, you did it for me. I remember that baptism, Lord. What a benefit. Jesus commands benefit, this benefit of baptism so that you and I might glory in what he's done for us. But baptism is also a benefit by, purify, or by purifying our consciences from guilt of sin. So not only are we united with Christ in this mysterious way, the gospel is completely... I talked to someone when I was in Tennessee... And this person was telling me what, what got them to heaven, what's going to get them ultimately to heaven. And the person said, I, I am a good person. Baptism has drawn a verdict on that. You are not. You must die with Christ. You must be buried with Christ. You must raise to be and belong to Christ. That's what's going to get you saved. Go ye therefore do this, make disciples of all nations. Disciples mean followers of Christ by first dunking them and raising them to be mine and belong to me. But baptism purifies our consciences from the guilt of sin. 1 Peter 3, 21 through 22 says this. Baptism, which corresponds to this. He's speaking of, of Noah and the floods and how God purified the world, right? How God purified the world of its sinfulness, its wretchedness, by sending waters to flood. A lot of water, not a sprinkling, right? Not a pouring, right? You couldn't get water. Our baptismal pool represents the flood. We got water coming out of the walls. We got water coming from the top. I mean, everywhere when you got to fill it up, water just pours out. That's how God judged the world. Water just poured all over it. And Peter says, just like Noah was saved through the waters, just like God judged man through the waters, he picks up on this and he says, baptism corresponds to this now saves you. Now hold on, because he's not done. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we stand in the water it is our appeal as we stand there, I've got to be united with him. That's what gives us our clear conscience. It's not the baptism through the removal of dirt. That's not a bath. Darn sure ain't a bath because it's dirty these days. 
That's not a bath. In fact, secular Greek used the verb baptizo to refer to how they would take their garments and dip it in dye. So they would take their garments, they would dip it down in dye, and they'd pull it out, and guess what that garment would be? It would be different. It would be transformed. It would be completely immersed and changed. So baptism, it wasn't a cleaning it's not that. It's our appeal as we stand there. I've got to be with Christ in my death, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. What's the application? Baptism should clear your conscience of any guilt, past, present, or future. Christ has done it for you. That scares some people to say, well, well, if Christ has done everything, then maybe I can live however I want. Paul abhors that in Romans 6. That's not the thinking of the person who stood in that water and said, I'm so rotten because I hate my sin. Don't you understand that that's how the Christian faith has to begin? With an awareness of how rotten we are? Question whether or not your salvation began that way. Maybe look at where it is today. Do you still see that? That I am making an appeal to God on behalf of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus gives us baptism to be a benefit to remind us that in that, in that immersion, in that resurrection, our consciences can be cleared. In Christ alone, our hope is found. Third benefit. Not only does baptism unite us with Christ's death and burial and resurrection, not only does it purify our consciences from guilt of sin, but baptism unites us with the rest of God's people. Baptism unites us with the rest of God's people. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. What's going on in 1 Corinthians? We used 1 Corinthians last week to talk about what was going on at the Lord's table. The rich were coming to the agape feast. They were eating all the food. And by the time the poor people got off of work and got there, the poor Christians in the, in the church got there, all the food was gone, and the rich people were over there drunk. And Paul says, the Lord's Supper that you're to be observing on that day, because that's when they observed it during the agape feast, it's not even the Lord's Supper, because the Lord's Supper is to unite the body. The, 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 the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to take one loaf of bread, one. We take one bottle of Welch's grape juice, but we pour it into all those little cups. So that the rich and the poor, the black and the white, the male and the female, the jerk and the nice person are all united by that same blood and that same bread. And we're all drinking of the same cup and eating of the same loaf. So that none of us, none of us, can make our own selves greater than anyone else. Even, even the pastors. Sometimes I've had such a bad week, I feel like taking two vials. Like, give, me, give me two pieces of that bread. I need two. Especially if we go to Cuban bread, like I suggested last week. 
I'll definitely be grabbing two. The point is to unite us in one body, but baptism does that. Why? We were all baptized into one body. It shows that for us, remember, remember the point that he makes right here. He talks about Jews and Greeks. Jews were still feeling like they had it all together. They were God's chosen people, man. Hey, we're God's chosen people. It's one of my major problems with liberation theology, that God is on a side of the poor and oppressed. You know, it doesn't just work in the rich. Today, we think that God is really only on the side of a particular race or of a particular type of people, the poor and oppressed. He loves rich people, too. Or the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel teaches that, well, he's only on your side if you're healthy, wealthy, and, and rich. No, listen to me. He's not on any of our sides. He's on the side of his son. And you, black, white, woman, man, child, adult, lawyer, concrete worker, whatever you want to call it. Every one of you are important to Jesus and God because of what happened. You all got saved the same way. What does it matter what society thinks about you? God says you're important to me because you're in my son. I told, I told Claire, I told Stephanie yesterday, we were driving down Turnpike, and Claire, when she sees churches, she did, Daddy, you see the church? You see the church? Yeah, I see it. I want her to be excited about it. I told Stephanie, if she is a doctor or works in a small little church as a secretary, I don't care, just so she loves the church. I mean that with all of my heart. I want my family to love the church and to love Jesus because baptism has symbolized this reality that we're all one. It is a wonderful reality. It is where we will overcome racism. It is where we will overcome sexism. It is where we will overcome transgender questions. It is that we are all baptized in this one man's death and raised in this one man's life. Who cares what Donald Trump's going to do for transgender? Or what Hillary Clinton's going to do for transgender? Jesus has already done it. You've already received it. We've all died. We're now with him. The one gender that matters in this life is Jesus Christ. Baptism is a wonderful benefit because it reminds us that we all were baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, important and unimportant people alike, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Baptism not only unites us to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, but it unites us to one another. When we're baptized, we share in the same salvation that every Christian, including Christ himself, shared in since the beginning of, of the Christian ministry. Baptism unites us to the universal body of believers always, everywhere. Some little monk in Ethiopia is united to Christ the same way you are. Augustine was united to Christ the same way you are. The great men of this faith, Paul and Peter and Jesus himself, all of us, with the exception of Christ in that, in that baptism, but Christ sets the example. But all of us are united to Christ in that act. What a benefit. We're all saints 
Now, the Catholic Church wants to make some better than others, but we're all saints because we're all sanctified by the one baptism. So what are the benefits? The benefits are that we are united to Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. Our consciences can be purified from guilt, but our consciences are also freed from superiority because Christ is in all, one baptism and one faith. So what have we learned this morning? Baptism is the initiatory act of obedience whereby Christians dramatize their union with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection by being completely immersed in water. While not essential for salvation, baptism is important for our appropriation of salvation through obedience. What are some applications? Really quickly, let's look at three. Number one, baptism is important, therefore we should celebrate it. Baptism is important, therefore we should celebrate it. Every new convert, every new believer that comes to this church, when they have made a a testimony of faith, a commitment to Jesus, should be baptized and should be baptized rather quickly because that's what they did in the Bible. It was important enough to do it. We should celebrate it. We begin our services with baptism. We don't know when they always are. Hopefully I'm going to get it to where we can, we can have a, a, a month, a, a day of the month where we celebrate baptisms, but the whole church should be here. The whole church ought to look at this as an act of celebration and worship for God and say, wow, look what you did for me. You ought to remember your own self as you stood in those waters and say, I am saved by Jesus Christ, by union with him. And celebrate that brother and sister's communion with you and the rest of the saints. Baptism is also beneficial. Therefore, we should not deny it. Baptism is beneficial. We should not deny it. In other words, all of these benefits that baptism brings, we can sit around and talk about which one, which mode is proper, but don't don't deny it. If, If you're a believer... Don't wait until you figure out which mode. Just come, get immersed, and receive the benefits of being united with Christ, of having your consciences cleared, and being united and becoming one with His church. Baptism is beneficial. We should not deny it. Lastly, baptism is essential, essential for our appropriation of salvation. We should not forsake it. Last application. This is the important one. Baptism is essential for our appropriation. What we're taking and making our own. Remember that word? We'll make this our own. It is essential for our appropriation of salvation. We should not forsake it. If you were sprinkled as a child with water... That's not baptism. John and Jesus went down into the waters and came up out of them. 
unite with Jesus in that getting down. You know, one of the difficulties we have here in South Florida is so many people are saved. Everyone I meet is saved and everyone I meet is baptized and I just press it just a little bit further. What do you mean baptized? Well, when I was a baby, someone sprinkled water on my head. Look at our definition. Baptism is the initiatory act whereby Christians... Babies have made no profession of faith. You say that is so mean. Babies are so cute. They are adorable. But God's word is absolute. Baptism is the responsibility of a believer confessing, I am unworthy. So we don't baptize babies in our church. If you've been sprinkled, you need to be immersed. I'm going to say that again. If you were sprinkled and that's what you're, what you're saying is, is, is your baptism, that's not baptism. Baptism is for believers and it is to be immersed. Baptism is essential for our appropriation of salvation. We should not forsake it. Maybe someone here this morning says, you know what? I made a profession of faith, but I'm not re- I understand what you're saying about baptism, but I'm not so sure that I'm ready to, to do that. Remember what I said? Faith without works is dead. Do not forsake what Jesus has commanded every disciple of himself to do. Baptism is important. Let's pray. Jesus, you commanded baptism. Thank you for the benefits of baptism. Thank you for the certainty, the clear consciences, the unity with you, the unity with others. God, if there's someone here today who has not been baptized, I pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, convict that heart. But maybe, Lord Jesus, maybe, Lord Jesus, There are some today who aren't even at the step of baptism. Maybe there are some today, Lord Jesus, who haven't yet decided to be united with your death and your burial and your resurrection. There might be someone, maybe one person here today Lord Jesus, who is trying to stake their justification before an almighty, perfect, and holy God in the works of their hands. God, let your Holy Spirit convict that heart today that they cannot please you by the works of their hands, but only by their union with Jesus Christ. Jesus, give us that opportunity this morning to lead someone into a relationship, a new creation, that privilege of a new creation in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the gift of baptism. Amen. If you want to talk more about salvation and how you can receive salvation,